right, welcome everybody back to the show. And Dave, thanks for being here, brother. Really appreciate it. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me on. And this- yeah, I am. Go ahead, well, I was just going to say I'm I'm super excited. I am fresh off of Power Monkey Camp. Uh, that I got to go and experience. And man, it was such a blast. And Dave is the mastermind behind that and and many, many other great things in this world. So um, pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you. For I appreciate that us. very much, Boz. It was great to have you and Kimmy out with us for the week. And uh, I hope you guys had a great time because it looked like you did, but uh, I, I hope it was as uh, as fun as you anticipated it being. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you guys have done such a good job just recreating that balance of kind of summer camp for adults theme where there's enough structure that you get a ton of great instruction, but enough free time and just kind of, um, you know, flexible moments there that you can really just appreciate what you're doing. So yeah, enough time for pickleball to to make the week worth it, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought we were going to get there eventually, but it might make sense right now, especially off some of listening in an audio format and not seeing they don't know can't see your shirt boss says power monkey on it but you know that's one of the things that you know dave you're intimately involved with and boss you just recently attended and had a blast and that kind of got you and i talking about hey we should really get him on the show it'd be a great guest but i'm sure there might be plenty of people watching or listening that don't really know what you're talking about so dave tell us just a little bit about yourself and then what is this power monkey thing that you and boss are just chatting about Sure. Uh, quick on the bio myself. Uh, I was just a, a gymnast uh, for USA, competed at Stanford University, and then was lucky enough to go on to compete for Team USA for six years. Uh, national champion a few times, was on a few world championship teams, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to be part of the team that went to Beijing in 2008 for the Olympics. Um, Power Monkey was started in 2011. Uh, Power Monkey Camp just uh, had its 10-year anniversary. That's where Boz came to our 20th cool. camp. And yeah, we're very excited to be able to hit our 10 year mark. We do two a year. It's out in the woods in the middle of nowhere, Crossville, Tennessee. We have a beautiful 150 acre location. That is a kids gymnastics camp in the summers. That's run by two Olympic uh, gymnast buddies of mine. And we take over in the fall and spring and turn it into an adult fitness camp. There you have it. And Hey, hold on. Let's (laughs) pump that up just a little bit. Number one, yeah, I mean, you condensed an amazing athletic career into about two sentences. So that's pretty uh, remarkable thing there. It's not every day you meet a gymnast of your caliber. Um, and then second, I think Power Monkey in itself, uh, it's not just a, you know, fitness camp for adults. It is a gathering of some of the finest minds from many different disciplines. I mean, I got to go and learn Olympic rowing from somebody who's on the 2008 gold medal team. I got to learn Olympic weightlifting from record holders and and Olympians. I got to learn gymnastics from people like yourself. I mean, that's rare that you get that many high level coaches in the room at the same time. So don't don't brush it off. It's a pretty remarkable thing. Oh, well, I appreciate that very much. And it's one of the things that we're most proud of with Power Monkey is that we've been able been able to uh, bring together not just great minds, because I think, you know, there are seminars and there are weekends where people can go and learn from experts and you can go to a seminar and spend a few hours with someone who's great in a particular field. But what Power Monkey has done, and it's just because we've become so close as friends and really family, is we've been uh, able to create a cohesive way of teaching and a mindset around how to make each of our individual disciplines better. And I think that's really unique around uh, each of our our own specific fields of expertise. And so my gymnastics has become better because of my time with Chad Vaughn and Mike Service and Vanessa and Cheryl and the other weightlifting coaches or with Hinshaw or with Lindsay, our our other coaches. And so we've really been able to kind of up our coaching methodology and the way that we kind of work with athletes because of the time that we spent together with these other experts. Yeah, I yeah think- sorry, I've got my my new puppy here, so he's just digging. So <laughs> turn the mute on for a second there. But but to um, I, I'm really curious because to me, I think it's a rare thing where you have somebody who comes from a really specialized athletic background. You know, like gymnastics, is a pretty specialized sport. Um, it, it seems like it's difficult to break away from the mindset that cross training is not only you know maybe valuable, but also going to accelerate what that base interest is in the first place. I don't think a lot of people arrive at that conclusion. So when did that mindset kind of get instilled in you and how did you arrive at that conclusion? I think that definitely was the mindset early on post my career uh, when I, you know, retired at the end of 2008 
right when I found CrossFit and started doing it. And I was back out at Stanford. I went back to coach Stanford in 2009 and we won a national championship that year, which was awesome. And uh, during that year, I started to kind of see what was going on in the fitness space. I wanted to stay involved in fitness and just stay in shape myself. Uh, but you could see early on, and you guys know better than anyone, uh, that there was a lot of pushback from those sports early on, weightlifting, gymnastics, just saying like, what the hell are you doing to our sports? You know, like <laughs> right. bastardizing our movements. Like that's not a muscle up. What the hell is that up on the rings? And one of the things that really resonated with me when I started to work with someone like Chad Vaughn and some of the others that uh, we started doing seminars early together uh, was that we had a completely different approach. Our approach was this is an opportunity to build our sports, to build some understanding of how to get people to move better and to like we've been struggling forever to have people interested in wanting to do handstands and and put weight overhead and hang rings in their houses and this was an opportunity to get millions of people interested and why not help them instead of saying they're doing something shitty let's say okay this is an opportunity to get someone a little bit more involved and so it grew from that into the national teams I'll speak more on the gymnastics side because I know this space a little bit more but um, even the national teams and the collegiate teams started to see value in applying Olympic weightlifting and more um, running methodology, maybe more sprinting or plyometric uh, power work and, and explosive work into their training that we had never done prior. And so, you know, over the last decade, I've actually been able to work with the national team here and there. I was uh, uh, part of the AAC, the Athlete Advisory Council for a decade, part of the selection com committee for the Olympic teams uh, post-career. I've stayed very close. And even during pandemic, I would run strength conditioning sessions virtually with for the national team because they wanted to incorporate a lot of this stuff uh, because they started to see value in it. So I think we're just at kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of how we're going to start seeing these very specialized sports start to incorporate more of these other areas of specialty into their training. And that's the wonders of variance, right? Which maybe initially it doesn't leap off the page at somebody, but you know, now in hindsight, 2020, having done this for so long yourself as well. I mean, there's very few human human beings or sports that aren't made better with squats and deadlifts or something like that, or increasing your strict pull-ups or having a longer else, like whatever it happens to be, you know, like there's very few sports and you know, Glassman used to say something along the lines of like, if you show me the blueprint of your training, you'll also in that blueprint, you'll show me what you're not doing. And in seeing what you're not doing, you're letting me see where all the potential is for adaptation because you haven't, you know, if you're just living around the barbell and not getting out and sprinting and not moving your body, you've got so much more fitness just untapped right there. And you could play that same game with any of the other disciplines. And I you know, we're immersed in this world, this mixed modality world every day. So maybe it's very readily apparent to us, but I'm struck still all the time with people that I meet that are involved in collegiate sports at well-known universities. And we've got a, uh, a collegiate rower that my wife trains in the garage and she's going to a good school and she tells us what she's doing in her training. And I'm like, there's so much more you could be doing that would be so beneficial. So there, there is still, I think, a lot of room for these traditional sports to grow and embrace what seems so obvious to us, right? This cross-pollination, this cross-training, this mixed modality, like this is the way. And think of how good athletes are right now not doing that. You know, you guys start mm -hmm. to spread this message more and more and the athletic potential is just through the roof. Without a doubt. I would just say one thing on that is <clears throat> sometimes it's... um not lack of interest in incorporating those things from the athletes or from the coaching staffs. But a lot of these sports just don't have a lot of funding or time mm. uh, or ability to connect with someone that's really good in terms of incorporating what's necessary for them. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of them would be completely open to it if they would be connected with uh, an expert or someone that knows the space well enough to be able to say, okay, here's your missing pieces to, to this blueprint that we can help fill in with the appropriate stuff. Quick short question that I'm sure I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you've got some stuff buzzing. I, a quick short question that's just a side got my brain going somewhere. Um, how is is the sport of men's gymnastics growing, declining, or stagnant? You know, at the collegiate level or whatever. Because I know, like when we speak to like wrestlers, sadly, wrestling's a dying sport. Like there's just not as many schools and programs as there was historically. Where does the sport of gymnastics stand with that? Okay, comparative to comparatively to wrestling, it's much worse. 
Oh, really? Much, much worse. worse. Much worse. Oh, I didn't yes. expect you to say that. Yeah, it's very unfortunate where we are right now in this country. I'd say around the world is slightly different, but we speak uh, primarily about the U.S. situation. Uh, collegiately, we're at 14 sports that still have NCAA scholarship programs, which is basically nothing. If one more sport, one more program drops, it's likely that gymnastics will no longer be an NCAA recognized sport. Really? Uh, yeah, and we've been fighting for a long time to um, manage that. COVID didn't help. Um, it it allowed a couple other programs to drop that were, you know, um, very important to the structure of uh, men's gymnastics being held together the way that it is. Uh, but it is very much a, a dying sport in the U.S. in terms of creating scholarship opportunities, which is why a lot of kids actually join the sport growing up. Yes to create, you know, kinesthetic awareness and grave, grave for discipline, all the things that you might think of. But once you get past a couple of years, the the opportunity, or at least knowing that a, a scholarship is at the end mm. of the road, is why kids normally stay through high school. And if that opportunity is gone and lost, um, it's very likely that uh, we're going to be struggling as a country in terms of being able to uh, perform and, and compete. And um, it's just is unfortunate. That just, I, is that just eyeballs, right? Because sports to get eyeballs and the butts go in seats and tickets are purchased. You would think that that's not going to go away. And to me, maybe I'm just biased, but gymnastics is a fascinating sport that just captivates my attention. But is not is that not happening in mass? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, we just had our world championship sad, last week. Man. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I think gymnastics is just such a special sport for a variety of reasons. I'm biased, obviously, but. Um, we just had our world championships last week and the women obviously get a bulk of the the media play and with Simone coming back mm -hmm. in the year leading up to the Olympics and she's winning everything again. It's great for the right. sport in general, but the guys put on probably their best uh, performance in over a decade, maybe closer to 15 years. They, they won, um, six medals, um, did an incredible job and a, and a bulk of the medals were won by 19 year old, um, Freshman just coming off their freshman year of college, um, a kid from Michigan and kid from Stanford, uh, just crushing it. And so the talent is there. Uh, these mm. guys are very marketable. They're very personable. They're great on camera. They're incredible athletes. Uh, but the, the IOC is doing some funny things in terms of promoting what they consider to be new niche sports for the community. So like, uh, Boz, you recognize and you were there. Uh, we got to highlight one of the uh, athletes potentially in the mix for the 2024 U.S. breakdancing team, which is going to be um, in Paris for the first time. And then L.A. for 2028 just announced sports like cricket and fencing and some other sports that are in the mix as well. So it's just tough because there are so many sports that um, get eyeballs these days uh, and that you're fighting for that it's a little bit different than it was in the past. Plus the fact that there's so many things going on with the NCAA, with the new NIL uh, mm. name, image, and likeness situation where the athlete's getting paid. Um, niche sports like gymnastics are never able to make enough money to fund their programs directly. So it's always about, you know, either the athletic department or a sport like football helping to fund the other non-revenue generating mm, sports. Mm -hmm. And now that, you know, a quarterback can make $10 million a year, uh, that is having an effect on the incomplete athletic department as a whole. So it's a scholarship issue. It's an NIL issue. It's um, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Well, I didn't mean to derail the conversation. I was fascinated by that, and I hope with all my heart that 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 corrects and that um, and that you know gymnastics has growing years ahead of it. I really mean that. Yeah, me too. And I'll just say one more thing on that. You know, I I'm helping out Stanford on their um. Uh, alumni board and trying to get Stanford to have an endowed program so that no matter what happens with the NCAA, Stanford will always have a place for men's gymnasts to be able mm. to compete. And right now what's unique is Stanford is the national team. Stanford is just crushing mm. right now. They they haven't lost the competition in five years. They've just, they're oh, wow. incredible right now. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a powerhouse. It's great to see that Stanford's doing so well. We were terrible when I was there, but it's great to see they're doing well now. <laughs> Um, but we need more programs to be able to see the value in having this as a program. And, and, uh, what we've been doing with power monkey is giving adults an outlet to experience and fall in love with gymnastics. And I think that's a really important route. It doesn't always have to be about kids falling in love with it. 
Uh, and CrossFit has really allowed us to be able to extend this interest in the sport to a completely new demographic and generation that didn't grow up with it. So we're trying to tackle this issue from a different perspective and say, hey, you're 40 years old, you found gymnastics two weeks ago and want to learn handstands. We're here to help you not only learn <laughs> about how to become more proficient with the movement, but also find a love for the sport and maybe want to watch the Olympics next summer too. Yeah, awesome. well, it's interesting because I think that's analogous to what, in my opinion, has happened with weightlifting in the United States. You know, you turn the clock back 20 years, it was such an obscurity and most people didn't even know what it was. If you were to ask them, you know, what are the two lifts contested, they wouldn't be able to tell you. That never mind, like name an athlete from the United States that's competing. That that's mm -hmm, unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, but with exposure, exactly like you're talking about, adults that had found their way into it via outlets like CrossFit, all of a sudden there's a renewed interest, and in, you know some of their kids are now growing up in the ranks and deciding to become weightlifters. So hopefully, that strategy does pay off because um, you know it has in the past. So that that'd be great. I'm hopeful. Um, but I wanted to, yeah, yeah. Um, you got to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to get back to the training a little bit and talking about just the, you know, kind of giving the devil its due with mixed mode training. And I think what you were mentioning there is that the intention can often be there and, you know, to be charitable to people. I think when you do see resistance to adopting methods of training that may be outside the scope of your direct sport, time, resource, those all kind of play into it, um, and I think that there's a mentality that, okay, if we are doing something like gymnastics and I can see the value in learning the power clean, for example, uh, there's this fear that so much time is going to be required to do that, that it's going to detract from the primary training that you have to do. And to me, that's what I think is one of the most valuable things about learning the basics around some of these um, different sports is that you don't have to have a huge investment of time to reap a really big reward from it. Um, and so to me, that seems to be one of the biggest problems to tackle is like, look, we're not suggesting that you adopt this entire weightlifting program and you completely shift your, your you know, the bulk of your training, but a little goes a long way. And how do you maximize that? That seems to be at the crux of it when we're talking about, you know, this, this beneficial cross pollination. Um, I, anyway, I, I, I agree with you it. there. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, um, just a small example of that. When I was living at the Olympic Training Center, I did start to adopt a lower body strength regimen with the head strength and conditioning coach at the OTC. The OTC. And um, I've notoriously had terrible knees. I've blown up my knees three times, ACL, MCL, yeah. meniscus over the years. And so it was always something that I've had to work extra hard on. And it was very noticeable the amount of time that I was spending working on squatting and deadlifting and just uh, getting my lower half to be capable of withstanding the landing, the twisting and and the, the type of things that you go through in the gymnastic setting that I became much more stable. Uh, I became much more capable of being confident in my landings and and preparing for what was normally weakness for me. So it didn't require a ton of work. It just re required a more focused approach to what I specifically as an athlete needed. So it just needs a little bit more attention. I don't think yeah. it's more time. It's just saying you you have someone there that's really looking out to what your specific needs are as an athlete. Yeah, and so to expand on that example, I bet you you didn't have to go out and set a powerlifting record no. to <laughs> reap the benefit of that increased stability, right? Like you're not... <laughs> <laughs> no, no talking about turning no, heads no, with the uh, weight that you're lifting. <laughs> no barbell records are going to be set uh, with this guy ever in, yeah. <laughs> in my lifetime. So definitely not the case. But and, but and yet, even with that small dose, the reward was pretty significant, right? Yeah, without a doubt. It, it, it was noticeable. Yeah. It was noticeable. Well, that's where yeah. I think, you know, talking about unlocking potential, right? Like you exposed yourself to some functional movements that you weren't previously doing. And even doing them at whatever level it happened to be, you know, below an advanced expert level loading or whatnot, you reaped a lot of rewards from that. And, and I personally mm -hmm. think from, you know, I'm immersed every single solitary day of my life, every waking moment with athletes and what they're doing and, you know, what they want to do, and what they don't want to do and the benefits and the pros and the cons. And I don't have to struggle to put a barbell in somebody's hand. They will, they will lovingly walk up when they hear that it's that sort of a day. Ah, eh, you know, three by one mile run days, no one's really happy there. Or if it's, you know, a body weight only, eh, they're not really happy either. But the barbell is an easy sell. And so the, to me, 
when I do get athletes to, I basically, what I'm trying to say is, I think people have so much potential to unlock in the world of gymnastics with regards to CrossFit, even right now, because everyone's touching the barbell. They're touching it fine. They're squatting. They're deadlifting. They love to Olympic lift. And they have just so much runway in front of them with what to you would be considered, you know, not even a scored movement, just the lowest of the low, basic fundamental gymnastics, exposing yourself to regularly. And I think, you know, even if you are listening to this and you love the barbell work, but you've been neglecting your gymnastics, if you start to embrace that, I'll think you'll see the stuff that you already love to improve even more. So, you know, from your lens, with all your gymnastics background and career, when you see athletes coming in, I guess, where are we on the yikes scale? Remember, we're all friends here. So when when <laughs> when when weightlifters first saw CrossFit years ago, snatching and clean jerk, they're like, yikes, what is yeah. happening there? And I'm sure they, like you said, gymnasts saw me flailing around in the pull-up and you're like, oh, no, what are you doing? You know, so where are we on the evolution from yikes to acceptable in your world? Uh, depends what movement is it. Boss keeps introducing more yike movements every year. So, uh, <laughs> so on the, uh, on the, you know, those, those basic movements that have been around for over a decade, I think we're, we're much closer to acceptable, but oh, cool. uh, as the pullovers and the pirouetting on boxes and these new things start to come out there, we have to, you know, give some time for people to understand how to move properly. And, um, it, it's fun to be able to play around with those things because we're here to be able to say, Hey, you want to learn that? Let's make sure the foundation is set correctly so you can ap approach it in a way that's going to allow you to do it technically sound, but also for longevity. Um, so I, I just want to mention one other thing that you mentioned, Pat, about um, the the importance of incorporating gymnastics into your training. I you know with our weightlifting coaches, we're always having battles around like which one is more fundamentally important, <laughs> gymnastics or weightlifting. And <laughs> uh, and on the gymnastics side, I'll just say this, you know, you touched on it, but the way that we teach gymnastics movements with power monkey is kind of a four phase process with the first phase is all about creation of body shapes. You need to be able to get your body in the shapes that you need for higher level skill development. And that, that first phase is broken down into two subcomponents. One is more mobility work and the other is a stronger core. So a strong core and a mobile body will allow you to create the shapes that you need, not just for body weight specific movements, mm -hmm. but for anything that you're going to go on to do. So if you can't get your body to move in the shape that you need for an overhead squat or to be able to externally rotate with kettlebell in hand overhead, um, you're going to be limited by creating a more efficient movement. So for me, you need to be able to get a handle of what your body's capable of doing without any external load before you can really appreciate how to do things a little bit more technically sound. So that phase one is critical in terms of being able to do everything else down the line. Well, to piggyback on that <clears throat> too, you know, you talked about the introduction of quote, new movements within the CrossFit realm. And, you know, it's, it, this is kind of a broader conversation when we talk about CrossFit as a competitive outlet versus just CrossFit, something that is, in my opinion, more of like a exploration of movement that, that you know, valid movement. Um, to me, you know, including some of these newer, quote unquote, skills, exposes the lack of fundamentals. And that's really what it's meant to do. It's, it's, uh, I think you and I share a very similar philosophy on this, this idea that you're not training specifically to execute that one thing in that one way that you hope it shows up in competition. You hope that you have a broad enough base and a, uh, a, a good enough understanding of how you get to that skill so that the platform is already there. And so when you're asked to do something a little bit differently, you're like, well, that's fine because the five steps that came before it, I'm already a master of that. And so all mm -hmm. I have to do is refine this new thing in front of me. It's not like this great challenge at that point because the table is already set. And I think I included about four disparate analogies in that rambly explanation. But to me, that's what I think is lacking when we talk about gymnastics in the CrossFit space is this understanding of the foundational principles that get you to a high level instead of looking at that end state and saying, I just want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. does, does that sound like it's kind of in line with your approach? Is that, I, is that I mean, roughly... it, it's, it's the heart of what we teach. So it's, it's okay. at the heart of what we believe in a power monkey. It's the heart of how I teach everything, uh, with my weekend seminars at camp, no matter if it's a remote client or not. And, uh, you know, the way that I phrase it at camp and, uh, I know you've heard me say it is we don't train towards a specific standard. 
we train towards the technical mm-hmm. expertise of the highest level version of that movement. And whether or not we achieve that highest level version of the movement is irrelevant. It's the process and the trajectory that matters. And so as an example, you know, I teach the handstand station at Power Monkey Camp, and there are a few things that kind of are good examples of this. One is just the way that I kick, I, I teach people to kick up into a handstand. And there are some fundamental things that I think are important, starting with the arms up over the head and lunging into the movement, creating length as you go down to the ground. And people are like, this is awkward to me. This isn't really the way that I would normally get into it. But I'm helping them understand that kicking up into a handstand is a building block into further tumbling. Yes, Mm. we're trying to get you to go down to the ground with comfort and create kind of a a good movement pattern, but it's also how you're going to be going down to the ground if you're going to try to do a round off or a front handspring or a front flip. And so we're preparing you for the next step in this process. So I'm not just getting you ready to go into a handstand. I'm, I'm having you prepare your mind and your body for what the next step is in this journey in terms of what's the next step. And so um, there, every movement that we teach has that same trajectory. I'm not just teaching you how to do a handstand mm. push-up. I'm preparing you for the highest level of that version of the movement, which would be a freestanding ring strict handstand pushup, right? And people are like, they yep. laugh when they hear me say that. They're like, I'm never going to do that. It does not matter to me one bit whether or not that actually happens. Mm. I just want you to have the stepping stones in place to allow you to move to the next step beyond what you're doing in a workout right now. And then the next, so that if it does come up at some point, you're at least prepared. Your, your body has the movement pattern mm. and you prepared mentally for what you know you could be exposed to. I, I see that almost as like a branching off point. Like in my mind's eye, I see exactly what you just described about kicking up into a handstand. If you follow the principles that you're talking about, it's like the potential to branch off into these 10 different other things is there. Whereas if you don't care about any of that, there are no branches on that tree. It's a dead end skill. And yes, it serves you for getting onto your hands. Mm. Great. But it doesn't allow for anything else to happen from there. And, and I, I feel like there's some understanding of that in the CrossFit world within weightlifting. Like, for example, nobody walks into a CrossFit gym and does the I Dream of Genie front squat, maybe as part of a modification as you're building up flexibility. But the understanding is that you're working towards a legitimate front rack because it branches off to other things. It branches off to a more stable position, a a jerk position, a clean position, all of these things that are also valuable. And that's inherently understood. But I feel like we don't understand that as much with gymnastics and CrossFit yet. So that's that's cool to hear you articulate that. I agree. You don't want to be exposed. And this is just the comment for the competitive athlete athlete out there, right? That doesn't want to be exposed or the ones that get pissed at you, Boz, for putting in a new movement. (laughs) And they're like, what the hell is this? Like, I've never worked on wall facing deficit, strict free handstand pushup before. And it exposed me as an athlete because I've only worked on variations that we've seen up to this point. So I think athletes that get pissed about that stuff are misinterpreting the way to approach movements and and they're they're missing out on the value of understanding what proper foundation is supposed to look like so that you know you know you're you're keep giving air quotes around new movements rightfully so because these have been around since the introduction of gymnastics and since the introduction of crossfit with glassman having been a gymnast and mm-hmm. you know these things were you go back to main site early on these things are programmed quite often you saw pirouettes and you saw press the handstands and things Mm -hmm. and so these are by far not new movements by any means yep yep absolutely i have the uh the original 100 words of fitness on the wall over here behind i think it's probably out of frame you guys can't see it but you know i don't know when greg wrote that initially but it's been a long time we're talking 20 years and all of those things are within that and uh yeah it is interesting that um for whatever reason people tended to de-emphasize some of those at the expense of others so mm-hmm. yeah. i think what's interesting and, and missed as well and where the devil doesn't get its due is people associate if you want to get strong strength lies with the barbell and, and lies with lifting and you can get so astonishingly strong just trying to manipulate your body through different positions in space that it is absolutely ridiculous you know and Going back to those athletes that maybe have been around for a while, hit some good numbers, feel like nothing more on the table. If you have the, the flexibility to hit the positions, I've seen people with you know monster squats, monster deadlifts, great clean jerks, really fit actually quite well-rounded individuals. And then you ask them to do a press to handstand and this just comes to a grinding halt and they feel like their own body weighs 400 pounds and they feel profoundly weak just trying to move their own body. So I don't think 
the actual strength, like you can get stupid strong just moving your body weight around. And I don't think that, uh, I think if people, people love to get strong, they, just, they, they, love, they love strength. And I think if people start to associate that doesn't just occur with the barbell and that there is a tremendous amount of strength to be gained through just moving your body through space, maybe that would pique some more interest in it. Because some of the strongest human beings that I know are gymnasts. Like, it is ridiculous to me. I've said this to, to Boz before on the, on the podcast, and maybe it's an oversimplification, but, you know, if you can snatch and you can clean and jerk, you know, if you can snatch, let's say, you are doing literally the most technical movement that you can with a barbell on planet Earth. Now, maybe it's just an empty bar, maybe it's 65 pounds, but if I say, can you do the movement? The answer is, yes, I can. That's the most technical movement. What's the most technical gymnastics movement? That answer is a hell no. We're not, no one's doing that. And then as you go 200 different movements down in, in simplicity, the answer is probably still a no. You're nowhere near. And you think that you need to spend more time with a barbell that doesn't make yep. any sense to me. So I think there needs to be a lot more embracing of gymnastics is my humble opinion. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate that very much. And uh, I don't know if you're just saying that because I'm <laughs> no, uh, against dead serious, today. man. Dead se- <laughs> I mean, I've said it before in previous shows, dead serious. I, I would say um, just to uh, piggyback on that one, probably the reason why so many former gymnasts have become solid at CrossFit, especially on the women's side, is because they have that phase one down. Like the reason why they can snatch so well is because they can create shapes really well. Mm. So to me, it's just they have a foundation around shape creation and they can build strength on top of that. Um, The other thing that I think is missed a lot is, you know, the focus is, you know, we think about 10 physical skills that are all important in terms of becoming a more capable athlete. Strength uh, becomes at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And we miss out on some of the ones that are really critical on the gymnastics side with coordination and balance and these things that also help with skill development that I don't think we put enough emphasis on in our daily workouts. But in the gymnastics world, we put an incredible amount of emphasis on. So the way that I program, the way that I work with my athletes, we put a lot more emphasis on those things that are neglected sometimes. And I think it allows them to become a little bit more well-rounded. What would be an example of something neglected? balance for sure. So like single leg scale work, or we do a lot of walking. Yeah. Scales, eyes closed, (laughs) eyes open, figuring out how to engage through your entire foot. Uh, You talk about the importance of that when you're in a lift, can you do it without anything? Can you do it with just single leg work? We walk across balance beams. We, you know, we create uh, situations that forces athletes to jump and land, uh, coordinated, uh, sticking landings, those types of things. So that they can actually start to apply it in a more, you know, a higher level state when needed. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. Uh, And, you know, Pat, even to just flip flop back to a basic example around, you know, strength development and your own body, it is kind of strange. And I guess maybe this because I do have some, you know, modest background in in gymnastics and, and things like that. But it was always kind of strange to me how people miss the boat so entirely. It's like, okay, well, once I get good at pull ups, I guess I'll just do more pull ups. And you're like, well, wait a minute, how about making that movement harder? Like there's, there's a variety of different ways, even if you're not that sophisticated in your approach, you're like, well, even just adding a little weight to my body would be a great way to start progressing that. But people, for whatever reason, don't seem to think in those terms. Um, and, and that to me is, uh, again, one of those kind of big missteps. Um, it's like, yeah, okay, you got the basic body weight movements down. That's great. And that's important. But there is such a universe that you can extend those off to, even if they don't result in like a high level skill. There are variations on variations that will continue to push your development that people just for whatever reason seem to write off. And it's it's weird because the more I have been involved in kind of all these different weird fitness subcultures, the more you see different ideas emerging in different places. And like that's something I had the good fortune of visiting Louis Simmons before he died many years ago in 2009 at the original West Side Barbell. We did a trip out there and it was awesome. And he used to say all the times, like, if you're not looking for ways to make your training more difficult, you're going to lose out in competition to somebody who's willing to do that. And that extends across all facets. You know what I mean? He's like, no, you're looking for the hardest bench press variation you can possibly do. Not the easiest one in training. That's what you pull out in competition. But in training, you make it as difficult as you possibly can. And the best person will be the one that's creative enough to continue to make those variations harder in training, not easier. And that to me is something that I just feel is so overlooked when it comes to 
training your own body. You know, it's intuitive when you get a barbell because it's easy. You're like, well, yeah, I add 10 pounds, you know, or whatever. I break the movement down in a different way. But it seems so strange to me that people have this blind spot when it comes to uh, basic body weight training. But I, again, anyway, I, rant, I, rant I, I, over. I agree with you a thousand <laughs> percent. No, no, I, I agree with you a thousand percent on that as well. Again, um, take the pull up that you mentioned, right? Because people are training that pull up with regards to how it's applied in a workout according to the standard of chin over the bar. So they say, mm -hmm. if I can get chin over the bar, that's the standard of how I'm going to apply it in a workout, and they stop. Mm. The way that we teach it and the way that we recommend other people teach it is that it's a continuum. It's one single continuum from hanging to finishing above the bar. So when you're working on pull-ups, the goal is not to get chin over the bar. We call them peak pull-ups. You should always be pulling as high as you possibly can to understand that incrementally, you're going to go from chin over the bar to chest to bar to sternum to belly button to eventually getting to a point where your center of mass is now above the bar and you've gone to the completion of that movement, a full bar, strict bar muscle up. And so that's how you should be training it if you're in a skill session. The movement is not chin over the bar. That is a standard. So when you're thinking about a pulling type movement, always think about peak pull. If you're an individual out there and want to try to get your pulls better, when you have the opportunity to slow it down, work on your tempo, work on your pause work, but always think about this in terms of its completion, highest level version of the movement, not just the standard as we've been talking about. Yeah, I love it. And then when called upon to do that measly chin over the bar, you're like, what yeah, is it? It's nothing. <laughs> it's kid stuff. Nothing, it's absolutely. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, I just wrote down peak pull. I like that a lot. Peak I'm going I'm, I'm to steal that. And I, I might, I might, I might, all uh, I'll, I'll credit going to you as well. But I might try to work that into a, a training session. Just have expose some people to it. I think that'll be really fun and, and profoundly valuable. I have a yeah a random question to ask. You know, somebody as as competent in the world of gymnastics as yourself. You know, in the world of CrossFit, you know, there is some lore that's been around forever that's just been largely unquestioned so now we're bouncing it off a gymnast you know it always used to get thrown out there for your l-sit work your way to a two-minute l-sit <laughs> work your way to a two-minute l-sit where does that fall in the realm of of difficulty because it was made it was made as if to sound as if every gymnast walking around had a two-minute l-sit you know and it's like you should strive for that as well i mean is that is that bar set very high on a two-minute l-sit or is that middle of the road i mean where does that fall in your world <laughs> I think this is. I just wanna... wants to know how how bad he wants <laughs> yeah, exactly. he needs to feel I about himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of uh, Glassman's stories. Um, I I've never seen a gymnast have to do anything like that. Mm. So it's mm. similar to asking a gymnast, a current competitive gymnast, what their thirty muscle up for time is. There's gotcha. no reason for a gymnast to do a two minute else at hold. We have to hold positions for two seconds to get full credit for that movement pattern. Okay, me too, good, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly, perfect position. So so for us to, to do longer uh, holds, yes, we'll hold things upwards of 30 seconds plus, but rarely are you seeing gymnasts do things for a minute, two minutes, three minutes. It doesn't happen gotcha, too often. Okay. Handstand training is slightly different. Um, even with that, it's a little bit of an exposed, uh, exposed nerve uh, when I... <laughs> A, a quick little story on this. Speak I, freely. I, speak freely. You're among I, friends. I, I, I hold. I hold <laughs> handstands is kind of like something I really enjoy doing, and where I've progressed even post competitive career. And um, I do a lot of different ways of holding long handstands. And uh, one of the things I do, I'll hold like two minutes and then rest for a minute. Do like five rounds, ten rounds, something like that. And when I had the national team uh, during COVID, I would have them do a couple of rounds of this. And I would say, okay, guys, you're going to hold against the wall, not even freestanding, like against the wall, two minutes, one minute rest. And by the third round, they couldn't move. Hmm. They could not even stay inverted anymore. And these are some hmm. of the most capable gymnasts in the world and are not able to stay inverted for duration. Uh, muscle endurance is not something that gymnasts really do often. So it is definitely something that, um, if you ask a gymnast, it's going to be unlikely that they're going to be doing L-sit holes for two minutes, long gotcha, holds, okay. without specific training for it. But you guys just do, you know, from what I understand from, you know, my, uh, you know, wife was a D1 gymnast, and she'll tell me, if, like, back in the day, it just sounds like most of the old training protocols, and I don't know if they've updated, it was just death by volume. It just seems like the amount of reps, reps. and conditioning sessions and the time under, you guys are just there for hours and hours doing it again and again and again. So maybe there wasn't, 
a single two-minute hole, but the accumulation of yes. all that you did, it sure was absolutely through the roof. Absolutely. It's it's well, very much like that. Just reps upon also, reps. Yeah, and I'd also say to that point, going back to the conversation we were having about earlier about progressing something beyond its basic stage, like an L-sit position for somebody who's steeped in gymnastics culture. I mean, it's a nothing position. It's not a big deal to be there especially when you're starting to train all these other straight body positions that are way more demanding. You know, you look at something that most people be familiar with, like a front lever, you know, the, the core strength required to do that is orders of magnitude more impressive than any length of duration of LSAT. It would be like comparing a 135 pound deadlift done for a set of 20 to a 600 pound deadlift. You know, you're like, well, okay, that's cool that you can do that for 20 reps, mm -hmm. but nobody really cares because it's just not that advanced. Um, and so I would argue that you're probably going to find people in that world because they're so developed on the extreme end that if you were to challenge them and say, hey, what's your max LSIT? I bet you you'd get a bunch of people that were bumping up close on it. They probably yeah. wouldn't want to do it. They wouldn't like to do it. <laughs> they don't really train specifically for it. But because they're so advanced down that skill mm -hmm. tree, it's like, yeah, of course. Of course, I can deadlift 135 pounds for a set of 30. Yep. I don't want to do it, but sure, I could do it. I agree with know? that, for sure. You guys are, are capable in a lot of obscure ways. Mm-hmm. Is there something? Anyway, so Pat, you're you're not off the hook, man. You got to keep building that two minutes. <laughs> yeah, where where man. are you on your LSIP, Pat? <laughs> man, I will tell you what, I I can't I can't get to a minute. I mean, if I after about the thirty second mark, um, both of my like quads and hip flexors will cramp up, and then like my body will black out and shut down, and I'll just fall <laughs> on the floor. And, and it is it's it's uh I work it, you know, because it's actually that challenging and difficult. But it is a it is a consistently humbling experience for me. Again, it's just, just like, I don't have a bad squat. I don't have a bad deadlift because these other things. And then you're like, hey, can you hold your legs in front of you? Just your legs. I'm like, yeah, you don't you know how strong I am? Of course I can hold my legs in front of me. And then 30 seconds later, I'm just like quivering uncontrollably. It's a very, and, and that to me is like, that's gymnastics right there. Like you, 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 you get your body at just the right angle and my 185 pound frame feels like it just quadrupled in weight, oh, yeah. you know? And so that to me is where I think there's just so much benefit for people there. You know, given, you know, the platform here, we've got you on the podcast today, and maybe there isn't an answer to this question, but is there something, I don't want to say that people don't get about gymnastics, but, it, you know, if you were able to have an audience and be like, look, so happy that everyone's exposing themselves to gymnastics and body weight movements. But if I could just impart, you know, one or two things to everybody that I think would make your lives better or get you on a better path sooner, you know, are there some things that just pop to mind? Come to Power Monkey Camp, number one. No. <laughs> Amen. I would, that. Say, I, would, I would say um what we already mentioned about that phase one just being critical and and the spending the, a few the minutes positions and having working the on creating shapes creating yeah shapes. working on creating shapes yeah if you can work on creating shapes through more mobility work and through more core strengthening exercise on a daily basis spending a few minutes on each of those on a daily basis it will go so far in you being able to you know better all of your movement patterns. On top of that, I do think that people should be working on handstands more often. Uh, I think handstands have a ton of value in a lot of different areas. And the only little caveat that I give to that because people kind of push back when, when I tell them they got to work on handstands on a regular basis is that working on handstands does not mean that you have to get upside down. Okay, and This right, is really right. critical. You do not have to get inverted to be working on handstands. You can do it prone or upright, overhead with plates and, and different variation of weights. You could do it at angles. There are so many ways to be approaching handstands that are valuable that I think if you can start doing that, it opens up so many different areas of training um, once you become proficient there. Could you give an example or two of the shapes that you're talking? Most people probably think of a hollow body, you know, but yeah. when you say shapes, what are some ones people could Google and research and be like, okay, these are the shapes I should be working on? Yeah, I mean, the, the there's like kind of four main, um, there's a bunch, but the, the the main shapes that people probably recognize when they cross the space are the hollow and the arch. Um, what we want to see with those are uniformity. So you want uniform hollow and uniform arch, which is really important, making sure that the shape is kind of uh, just like a, a boat rocking in water type of a position rather than any um, 
any skewed position from top to bottom. Uh, mm. You'll notice it more with most people when they're in an arch, just because of maybe lack of T-spine mobility or underarm soft tissue mobility. So you want to try to create as much uniformity within those positions as possible. I will additionally say that um, when people are working on hollow positions for things like handstands, uh, they're over-exaggerating the position. It becomes something that is more of a curved shape, but in a handstand, you want more of a straight line. So the the hollow needed for something like a handstand is much more subtle. So if you are going to be working on things like hollow positions for handstands, you should always be doing it with a fixed position in place, meaning your feet on the ground or hanging or your hands intact on the ground or mm. feet and hands touching something and just working on pelvic tilt, flattening out of the lower back. That's the subtle position. You don't want to be thinking about an extreme curved shape for the handstand. You want more of a straight line. So the hollow is much more subtle. But additionally, you have pike, pike position, tuck position, straddle position, layout position. Those are the other four that we utilize within gymnastics to, you know, either increase or decrease the level of difficulty of most movements. Okay, final question, Your Honor. It's, yes, um, sir. <laughs> your personal opinion or take as a gymnast on something like the kipping handstand push-up versus a strict handstand push-up. And I know that might depend on each person's athletic journey. Again, my wife's now in her 40s and she does strict handstand push-ups, doesn't kip anymore, doesn't treat her well, you know, but everyone's in a different different phase. What's your take on kip versus strict, especially with something like the handstand push-up? Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time to <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll be as brief uh, as I possibly can. I, with specifically the handstand push-up, I do not do, I do not teach, and I don't recommend people doing kipping handstand push-up. I don't think it's a necessary movement pattern uh, for people, especially someone that does not have a straight handstand push-up to be able to mm -hmm. control what's happening on the way down. If you're using kipping handstand push-ups as a scaling option for straight handstand push-ups, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for keeping those PTs in your, your town open. There's no reason why you need to be dropping onto your head uh, without being able to actually control it. So from my perspective, and I bring this up when I teach, and Boz, maybe you heard it when I was doing the handstand seminar, but um, you know, I don't know, but I've noticed within main site programming and with the open and things like that, that there's been a lot less kipping SM push-ups programmed. And I have been encouraged by that to even elite athletes don't need to be doing that. You know, right. I, I've done it before and I'm good with handstand pushups. And, and even I've noticed that it's an unnecessary amount of stress that's dropping onto my head after you're doing high volume workouts. Um, in fact, when I teach handstand pushups, I recommend for a lot of athletes to start out with a scaling option that doesn't require them to put a pad down on the ground. So mm. that they actually have to control themselves mm -hmm. all the all the way down to the ground, rather than knowing that there's a safe you know pad there where they can just say it's like a football helmet on, knowing you're a torpedo, Send. just go and so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> force yourself to control yourself through the through the entire movement pattern and know what it's like those last couple of inches down to the ground to say okay I'm gonna control this movement pattern rather than gravity just kind of taking hold. Yeah, <clears throat> I'll take that one step further and say that. You know, the, I, I don't have as much of a problem with it. I'm like, you know, people can make their own decisions. I broadly, I think I agree with you that most people are not using that movement wisely and they're probably not prepared enough to, to have that kind of demand put on them. Um, but to take it one step further, I always thought that the best expression of a kipping handstand pushup was one where your head doesn't make contact at all with something. And so your setup is done in a way that the weight is always on the hands. It's mm -hmm. never off of your hands. And I think that would radically change people's um, experience with that movement. And it would go from being, oh, it's a scale to actually this is really advanced uh, because necessarily it would add a little bit of deficit in there. And there wouldn't be that break where I don't have to worry about what my upper body is doing at all. Um, I've got to control it through that full range. That's so a great to point. Me, that, point that's one of my favorite things to push back on with people is like, yeah, I like kipping handstand pushups if they're taken to that level of hey man, it's not about doing 50 with as wide an arm and fast bounce as you possibly can. <laughs> it's about pushing that skill to something that is way more advanced than, than what most people consider it to be. I, I love that. And I think that's such a great point. And uh, just for listeners out there, one thing to become proficient at to be able to actually execute that type of movement is a shoulder stand. 
And a shoulder stand is a movement yes. on parallettes that I have a lot of my athletes that are working on, you know, what you introduced last year of going from support to handstand, kind mm -hmm. of a stepping stone to a press. You have to get mm -hmm. used to being inverted in a shoulder stand where you're you're controlling from, you know, your upper body and not having your head uh, resting on the ground. And that movement pattern, being able to kind of understand um, that setup, it's basically like a headstand without the head touching the ground, is such an important step in being able to actually know what happens back and forth. So I, I think that's such a great approach to saying, hey, this is a movement that that can be valuable and you don't need to actually, you know, do it with your head touching the ground. Well, Adrian, there's no, there's absolutely no way that people won't hear what you just said and think that that was a secret hint for the upcoming games. There's, there's no good. way. If that, there's no way. You know what? If that <laughs> encourages them to train in that way, then good. It's worth it. Well, Let them think that. That's well, I know that, I know that we need uh, to kind of wrap up here soon. So, uh, Dave, let me just ask you, people want to find out more about you. They want to find out more about Power Monkey. You know, throw it all out there, social media, emails, whatever, websites, you know, what do you, how can people find what you do? Sure. So website is just powermonkeyfitness.com. Uh, our camp is powermonkeycamp.com. We're launching uh, the new dates and registration for 2024 for fall um, in next week or the end of the week. Um, not sure when this recording is going out, but check out powermonkeycamp.com for those dates. Our Instagram feeds is where you find most of our regular teaching content. It's uh, at Dave Durani and at powermonkeyfitness. Awesome. Man, thank you so much for uh, joining us and spending the time. I uh, just have the utmost respect for you and what you've done with Power Monkey and obviously your athletic career, but uh, you're such a great instructor on top of that. Um, very, very kind with your time. And yeah, man, I just, uh, I would encourage anybody who's even, you know, just had the inkling to, to check some of your offerings out to do so, because man, you just, you're you're killing it. So keep it up. Thank you, Boz. I really appreciate that. Um, I feel like we just touched on a couple things here. We went uh, we went off into some tangents, but <laughs> hopefully it was valuable for your listeners. And uh, I'd love to chat with you guys again sometime soon. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, man, we'll make it happen uh, again. So, you know, very much appreciated. So as I always say, everybody, you know, check out where you know, the websites that Dave sent you to. Check out verynotrandom.com for the offerings that we have there. Help support the show. If you've got thoughts, ideas, topics, feedback, and all that, find this show on the BTWB YouTube channel. Post your thoughts and all those various things in the comments. We read those comments. They help drive future content. And as always, for Dave Durante, Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.